Hey everyone, this is Under the Surface, and you're tuned into Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM. We're also live streaming on the internet at valleyfreeradio.org. And I'm Amy Landau. Thanks for joining me today. My guest for today is Claire Dacey, a very talented woman. Claire is a folk singer, songwriter, instrumentalist, naturalist, ecologist, visual artist, and teacher who lives in East Hampton. My particular connection to Claire, though, was through her music. I first heard her perform at an open mic about two months ago at Luthier's in East Hampton, and I was just enthralled by the beauty and the authenticity of her voice. I felt really transported to a different place, and I think that's what great artists do. They bring you somehow into a totally different space in in a way that feels different both physically and emotionally, almost as if you're no longer enclosed by the four walls that surround you, but in an open field somewhere or looking at the moon or stars or traveling along a river. Or maybe what they do is they remind you of something deeper and more profound in yourself that's normally hidden, and this is what evokes that this greater feeling of connection beyond the immediate world. Claire's musical background began with her love of singing at a very young age, violin lessons lessons at the age of five, and her participation in an a cappella chorus in high school. She also studied biology and ecology at Stanford, and although she was somewhat drawn toward classical music in college, it never felt like the right fit for her. At some point, she discovered folk music and started learning fiddle tunes and solo songs. For a time, she busked with a band called the Cosmic Flying Eyeball. Claire taught herself how to play the guitar and eventually began writing her own music. At the same time, she started a heavy-duty doctoral program at Harvard in physiological plant ecology. But while immersed in her study, she dreamed of becoming an itinerant folk musician. She was uh, was particularly captivated by the music of Kate Wolfe, and Kate Wolfe became a huge influence on her own music. She ended up leaving Harvard in search of greater freedom of expression. At the same time, she continued to pursue her interest in the natural world through her work as a field naturalist and biologist. As a musician, Claire has had a number of memorable musical moments. She opened for Erica Wheeler at the Iron Horse in Northampton and won second place in the Connecticut River Songwriting Contest for her song, This River. She played at the Academy of Music for a Pete Seeger tribute, performed with Ronnie Arbo for a Connecticut River fundraiser, and at the Arcadia Wildlife Sanctuary to celebrate the seasons in the natural world. Claire not only makes music, but also creates visual art in the form of drawings, paintings, photography, block prints, and hand-painted maps, all with a focus on the natural world and the local landscape. And over the last seven years, Claire has been very busy raising her daughter. But if you live in the Pioneer Valley, you're in luck because you can catch her performing almost every week at the open mic at Luthier's in, in East Hampton, just like I did. She's also begun working on an album with a nun Nyack, a member of the band Ronnie Arbo and Daisy Mayhem. And I'm really excited to have Claire on the show right now because she's promised to perform some of her songs for us today. So Claire, welcome. It's great to have you here. Thanks. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me, Amy. Great. And um, first off, Claire, where are you originally from? I grew up in the Boston area in Newton. 
And um, so not for, not too far from this area. Yeah, not yeah. too far. I'm kind of new to the area, so my geographic <laughs> knowledge is a little limited. So you first got into singing in church, and at around the, the age of five, you started experimenting with your voice in church. Can you tell me about that memory? <laughs> it's so interesting. <laughs> I think, you know, my earliest musical goal was to try to sing louder than everyone else. <laughs> That's what I remember. <laughs> sort of a uh, little bit ignoble, perhaps. But um, did you succeed? I don't know. I felt I did. I felt I did, but mm-hmm. I, I didn't actually get feedback from from the grown-ups in church about how loud I was being. But that was my goal: was can I make my five-year-old voice stand out amidst all these grown-ups? Yeah, <laughs> sounds good. And you you explored musical theater too when you were very young in kindergarten, and you said this had a big impact on you. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that many people were in kindergarten musicals (laughs) and probably don't have that much of a memory of it. But Mm -hmm. for me, it was a really distinct experience of standing on a stage and Mm -hmm. singing and playing a part and having people respond to that. Um, I was completely captivated by that. And I think if my parents hadn't intervened, I might have gone off for (laughs) an early career in musical theater. My Uh second grade teacher wanted me to... Um, audition for a pretty serious production of Annie in second grade and my my parents you know were like no I don't I don't think that's a good idea which I think was wow you very wise (laughs) you just said Annie which was my favorite musical as a kid in fact when I started doing this show I did two shows about my obsession with Annie as a child (laughs) I loved Annie and um, yeah and how I met you know kids from the cast and wrote letters to them and you know so it's really funny that you yeah, totally. You probably could have done that, too. So your parents discouraged you from that. Yes. In fact, I don't think they even told me that my teacher was suggesting that. Um, oh. And, and I think that was all good. Uh-huh. <laughs> they, yeah. They probably saved me from something that would have been pretty crazy. For yeah. Me, I mean, but. the thing about, you know, this, not to go on, on too much of a tangent, but when kids, like, get on the stage that age and they're in show business so young, I think sometimes the rest of their career might feel like a disappointment, you know, uh, After that, there was a whole documentary about it, Life After Annie, which was, or something like that, Life After Tomorrow, which was about that, how a lot of those young girls then just went home and they were nobodies, you know. Yeah, so I'm really glad I dodged that (laughs) point. (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad you did too. Um, So uh, I understand that you went to Stanford to study biology and ecology, and during that time you played classical music in an orchestra. But you never quite got into it. Why not? (laughs) I was terrified by Uh it. Um, I remember just like sitting, you know, actually was playing viola in the Stanford Orchestra um, because I didn't feel confident auditioning as a violinist because there's so many gazillions of wonderful violinists and Mm -hmm. many fewer people go into viola. So I I played viola and um, I would sort of hide behind my music stand. I just, you know... Uh, I wasn't terrible, but um, there's a lot of pressure in a classical orchestra. Mm-hmm. You know, there's um, a lot of pressure to be reading the music and counting all the beats before you're supposed to come in and, you know, playing it perfectly and um, in sync with everybody else. And I just, you know, at a place like Stanford, you know, people aren't just totally chill (laughs) things are kind of amped up yeah it's Um, an intense competitive environment I imagine it is and I've always found classical music to be an intense and competitive environment in general yeah um and I just it I just never could relax Mm -hmm. and and it was cool I mean I remember 
you know, playing Night on Bald Mountain with the Stanford Orchestra was just like, you know, it's a very intense, spooky piece of music and it was a total thrill to be a part of it. But I just felt like my adrenal glands were going <laughs> to collapse with the with the anxiety that I felt um, in that setting. Yeah, wow. So I, I, I did not continue on with that. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And you, you um, said that you took time off from college and you became a canopy biologist. And I love that image, by the way, the canopy <laughs> biologist. It makes me picture someone climbing the tree canopy and, you know, That's what investigating I was things with a magnifying glass or something. <laughs> and this is also a bit of a tangent, but I have to ask what sort of specific work. Yeah. What did you do as a canopy biologist or was there a fo- particular focus? Yeah, um, it's going to be super nerdy, but um, <laughs> we I love was, nerdy on this show. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was mostly focused on how trees allocate resources in their canopies because I'm I was fascinated, you know, when I started to learn that trees can change the amounts of carbon and nitrogen that they're putting in different parts of their canopy, you know, based on um, environmental things that are going on. And I just thought, wow, that sounds cool. Like trees are these amazing beings and um also there's this great adventure component to the canopy i mean it's right there it's around us all the time but like we can't really get there yeah easily so there's all this mystery and challenge to just being up there yeah um do you do you know of that book then you you must know about that book about the secret life of trees or something like that about how they communicate yes and not just with their own species which is really amazing. It's almost like an internet underneath. Yes, <laughs> in the with, the, with the fungal associations. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing stuff that they're uncovering. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was mostly looking at that. And also um, I was a research assistant on a project at Harvard Forest that was looking at um, an old growth hemlock canopy and trying to understand... Um, you know, whether it was like a carbon sink or a carbon generator or carbon neutral, you know, sort of everybody's thinking about global warming and carbon these days. So trying to figure out, you know, this particular forest, um, mm-hmm. you know, what whether it was taking up carbon or, or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was working on that. Did you get the answer? Um, I, the, we, we did definitely make progress on the answer. And mm-hmm. I am sorry to say that I... C- can through the haze of of motherhood and many right. other things oh, cannot actually reasons. remember what our oh, I, was I showing understand at that. the time but it was an ongoing project that yeah. continued on after I left yeah and what you said about how we don't really know what's going on with the canopy of the trees um I have to share the thing that uh, a friend of mine her sister once commented that she loved you know seeing young trees because you can put your hand on the canopy it's the only time you can put your hand on the canopy oh, of the tree that. isn't that a great image that's a great image <laughs> I'm I was gonna like, think wow, of that <laughs> I know um so let's see um, I also know you did some busking, as I mentioned in the introduction, and you played in that band called Cosmic Flying Eyeball, which is a great name. And where did you busk and what was that experience like? Um, I, I busked mostly in Cambridge, Mass. Um, and I also busked, I've also busked quite a bit in Northampton. I can't remember if I've, I don't think I've busked anywhere else. Um, but it was mostly at that point, it was mostly in Cambridge, um, mm-hmm. in Harvard Square. Um, and I've had a bunch of different experiences from playing on the street with a classical quartet, uh, which was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just like standing on the street corner and playing fiddle tunes and that sort of thing, um, was mostly what I did. And it was an amazing experience. I really still 
like playing on the street. And especially at that time, um, you know, it was interesting. I would just meet interesting people. And I felt like I was participating in the streetscape on Mm -hmm. some level, you know, making this soundtrack for people who are passing by. And um, oftentimes, you know, homeless people would come up and and just start talking with me because I'd be out there for a bunch of hours Mm -hmm. and I'd you know, get to meet them and hear some of their mm-hmm. stories. And wow, I just thought it was really fun. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a fascinating experience. So you literally had, you know, like a guitar case open for people to put money in and that kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. Um, and how did they come up with that name? Co- Cosmic Flying Eyeball, just a fun name. <laughs> I have no idea where that name <laughs> came from. And mm-hmm. it was a very wacky um, experience that was, again, just like sort of in a spirit of youthful adventure at the time um I had played at the open mic night that used to be at fire and water which maybe is before you were in this area but Mm -hmm. it was in Northampton they had an open mic and um and this guy came up to me and he'd heard me play fiddle and said oh I'd love for you to play with my band Mm -hmm. um and I just was like sure I've never done that before I've never played fiddle with with a band so Mm -hmm. Why not? Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, so I did that for about a year and I just played fiddle mostly and maybe sang some vocal harmonies or something like that. And um, it was interesting. And I have no idea where they came up with the name. Yeah. 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 And I know that you wrote your first song in 1998 while backpacking the 100-mile wilderness in Maine. And I didn't know what that was, even though I went to college in Maine. So I looked that up um, <laughs> with a friend. So did something about your experience on that trip inspire you to write the song? Um, it wasn't necessarily like a direct, you know, inspiration from something that happened on the trip. But I'd been wanting to write my own songs for a number of years and just didn't have any confidence about it at all. And, you know, I'd sit down and try to write something and it would be just seem sort of derivative and goofy and, um, something about just all that walking, all that hiking through the forest. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes I was by myself cause even though I was with a friend, we would hike at different speeds and, um, just hours by myself, just walking through the forest. And it just started to coalesce in my mind as I was walking and um it was a really different way to approach writing a song it wasn't just sitting down and being like okay what am I going to write about yeah you know I got to come up with something interesting (laughs) it was just like this organic thing that kind of came uh just happened while I was walking and is that a song you still perform and that you might want to perform for us or or maybe another song um, uh, that one I mostly put in mothballs. It's a little bit oh, of an embarrassing okay. sort of, okay. uh, love song. Okay. <laughs> I don't usually share okay. anymore. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> um, and you do have your guitar in the studio, right? I do. Yes. Okay. I don't, well, we, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, and so you, you said that Kate, Kate Wolf was your single greatest musical influence. Um, what was it about her music and, and her personal story that so resonated with you? Um, I think what resonated about her music was that she captures this incredible stillness in her, the, the way she delivers and the, the content of her songs is like, it has this piece in it that, um, I haven't heard too many musicians like really embody that. And also I really recognized her, um, her take on the world and her take on life and her own emotional life was just really resonant for me. Um, 
so that was a big part of what caught me. And also she uses a lot of natural world imagery in her songs, even though she doesn't often write directly about nature. There's usually a setting or there's metaphor that's natural world. And I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then her personal story, you know, she, um, from what I've read, um, she came to music kind of late and mm-hmm. she had kids already and she didn't, have a lot of confidence that she could be a musician and she was maybe like in her late 20s before she started performing and at the time you know I was in my mid-20s and it sort of felt like oh maybe there's hope for me you know I haven't really started performing but Kate Wolf didn't start performing until she was 29 so maybe I'm uh, not a lost cause (laughs) (laughs) Um, and also she just uh, when she decided she wanted to do music she took a lot of risks and she just went for it she like spend a bunch of time living out of a car and yeah and um she just kept doing it until people started to catch on to her um she died very young didn't she she did yeah she She was only in her 40s yes and she she was amazingly prolific before then she wrote an incredible number of wonderful songs you know before dying at such a young age Mm -hmm. so she did get a very popular and you know she was famous before she died and well known yeah yeah and um you spent some time in Vermont you said researching the natural and cultural history of rural Vermont towns and I know you said you really love that what did you love about that experience um oh that's a good question And I'm also curious if you're interested in researching East Hampton now that you're in this area. Totally interested in researching East Hampton. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and I'll say more about that. Um, Yeah, so I think there's a bunch of things that I loved about that work in Vermont. Um, One thing is that the places are so rich and amazing, Um, understanding all the threads that come together to make a place sort of... Mm -hmm you know, the way we experience it. And often we don't really think about places. We don't think that much about, well, how do I experience where I live? Mm -hmm. And how did it get to be this way? Why is the land this way? Why is the town set up this way? Why is the economy this way? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, what are the plants and animals doing? And what's what's the history of that? Um, It's just something that sort of goes under the radar for for most of us. Mm -hmm. Um, So to really dig into that and get to look at the history of these places going back like 500 million years and looking at how the rocks formed and and finding out that the way the rocks formed 500 million years ago actually influences the way the town is now. Wow. Um, And that just seems amazing to me. Yeah, Um, that makes me think of when I lived in New York City and I discovered, you know, that uh, there's, you know, I lived in, in Harlem and if I wanted to go west to Columbia University area, it's, you know, you have to go around a park and it's a higher elevation. And then that I started, you know, I learned that's a glacial moraine. That's why the land is like that, you know, and that's also affects the whole culture, the division between the western part of Manhattan there and the um, central and eastern part. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's very interesting. That's exactly that's yeah. exactly the kind of thing that I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, so I love that. And then I loved, you know, part of my job was to tell these stories to the people who lived there um, to just help bring the community together around something everyone has in common, which is living in this place um, Mm -hmm. and experiencing the place. And a lot of times in Vermont and also in Massachusetts, you know, there's people whose families go back generations 
There's people who just moved there two years ago. There's a, people from really different backgrounds, and they're struggling to f- to make a sense of community. You mm-hmm. know, with all these you know people with different histories coming in, and there's something about bringing people together around the shared land and the shared sense of place that sort of can everyone can relate to. Um, so I loved that, and I just love I'm a, I love stories, and really when you look at all this history. It's storytelling, um, and people love stories, in my experience, and people love to hear about where they live. Yeah, it's um, fascinating. So, yeah, it's great on many levels. Yeah, I, I really um, want to go to the uh, little East Hampton Historical Society, which I think you need to make an appointment. <laughs> it's only open one day a week or something. Yeah, so what is, you know, we touched on this before, and maybe you've already said it, but I'm curious also about what your focus um is as a biologist and a, and a naturalist today? Um, these days, I, I would call myself a generalist mm-hmm. naturalist. Um, and I, but I, I have more, um, I have more of a specialty in plants, I guess I would say than, than in other organisms. Um, and I'm sort of like, a have been sort of, um, you know, field biologist, field naturalist for hire, um, for, many years as sort of a background thing. Um, so I, you know, can go out and look at what plants are growing in a place or make a map of different natural mm-hmm. communities or look for something rare that people want to know if it's still there. Um, um, stuff like that. So are your maps mostly, um, it's mostly the natural landscape then you're not incorporating man-made parts into the maps or are you? Um, are you talking about like the painted the hand maps? Pe- yeah. Um, those will, ha- those will have man-made, yeah. um, mm-hmm. pieces to them. It's sort of those maps, you know, someone will hire me like, um, you know, I did a project for a local land trust that has a bunch of, mm-hmm. um, properties with trails and they really wanted to help draw people into their properties and really use those properties and mm-hmm. having a beautiful map that really, um, is evocative and easy to use and you look at it and you think "Ooh, that place looks cool I want to go yeah I really there. I like your maps um, yeah. thank you I'm into those. <laughs> um, so that's really you know it depends on who's hired me and what they want the map to to show right and um, did this work um, your work as an ecologist has that had an influence on your songwriting I know I asked you before about the hundred mile walk but just in general the other experiences you've had I totally think that it has um and I don't know how you know direct and and obvious it is part of it is just a lot of time spent outdoors looking at things in nature so um metaphors that have to do with nature come to me you know more easily than a lot of other (laughs) kinds of metaphors because I've just been steeped in that Um, But I also think like learning about different ecological connections and understanding um, plants and animals and and how they live their lives. Like um, I can't think of like a really direct example, but I know that that's influenced some of the themes and some of the ways I it's just the way I look at things is Mm -hmm. is has an ecological kind of component to it. And are you as active outdoors right now in the cold weather? I'm curious. Um. No. And also, since my daughter was born, I haven't been as mm-hmm. active as a field biologist all around. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. I do try to get out and I love to do um, tracking, animal tracking in the winter as soon as there's snow on the ground. 
Well, I'd like to invite you to play some songs. And what I could do is go to a brief break so that you can, you know, set up your guitar. And then when we come back. Yeah, that makes sense. Some songs (laughs) (laughs) rather than just pulling it out now. Okay, great. Thank you. So stay with us, everybody. We're going to be back soon with some songs um, by Claire Dacey. Would you like to save money on your home heating and electricity bills? Mass Save makes it easy. Mass Save is the Commonwealth's home energy savings program. How does it work? Start with a free home energy assessment. A trained energy specialist will visit and recommend improvements that are best for your home. Affordable improvements such as adding insulation can mean deep savings year after year. A free home energy assessment can be arranged by calling 866-527-7283 or by going to www.masssave.com. Do you dance badly or hug in public? That's okay. You don't have to be perfect to be the perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care would love to put up with you. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit AdoptUsKids.org for more information. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. And we're back. Thanks for tuning in. If you're just joining us, welcome. This is Under the Surface on Valley Free Radio, WXOJ Northampton at 103.3 FM. I'm Amy Landau, and my guest today is the singer-songwriter Claire Dacey, and she's going to honor us by playing some of her songs in just a moment. She's just getting her guitar set up. So I know um, you were expressing some interest in those early songs, and while um, that very first one is just too embarrassing (laughs) to play, (laughs) um, I thought I'd play another pretty pretty early one. Um, and this is really has a lot to do with that connection to the natural world great it's called um, This is the Melody The song of the grasses the wind in Song of the open sky in the high country. It's a song of the dark clouds riding in on the breeze. This is the melody that holds me. This is the melody It's the first drop of rain On the parched red clay Sound of the thunder When it's still far away The darkness that gathers at the end of the day. This is the melody that holds me. This is the melody. It's a sliver of moon as the first stars appear. 
rich peace that blossoms as the storm starts to clear the night creatures stirring when the dream time is near this is the melody that holds me this is the melody wow that was so beautiful thanks, thank baby. you i really love that thanks wow <laughs> <laughs> can you play another sure <laughs> now that your guitar is out yeah you don't have to ask me twice <laughs> all right let's see um i'm gonna play one that is pretty recent and um this one is connected to um that um it's connected to kate wolf okay um and it's really about partly about the effect that she had on me and it's partly about, um, you know, I really, there's a, there's a Rilke quote, um, and it's something along the lines of, uh, you must give birth to your images for they are the future waiting to be born. Wow. And, um, one of the things that I really got from Kate's music and started to incorporate into my own th thinking about songwriting is that music can be that sort of projection. It's almost like you're creating a path for yourself you're creating an energy and a type of reality that you can move into mm -hmm. on some level and and I felt like Kate's songs helped me solidify a reality that was developing for me mm -hmm. um and so this song is about that it's it's called singing my way home mm -hmm. um so great here it goes <laughs> Heard the sound of the wind through the mountains In her voice, the midnight summer sky And I heard lovers sigh and seeds Waiting patiently For that long cold winter to pass by she sang straight from the heart until the end. And though we never met, she felt like an old friend. Through years and miles, she found my soul. She taught me how a song can take you home. I'll be singing the road before my feet. I'll be singing yesterday to sleep. Singing a pair of wings for my heart and some thick soles for my feet. Whenever this world seems a cold and a careless place and I don't know where to go. I'll be singing, singing, singing my way home. When the road ahead lies deep in shadow 
when dark clouds gather, but they give no rain. When I lose what matters, but hold on to some pretty hollow thing. Just to keep from drowning in the pain. May the sweet song of my heart call my name. May the sounds of home come drifting on the wind. May I not be silenced by shame or violence. May the music take me home again. I'll be singing the road before my feet. I'll be singing yesterday to sleep. Singing a pair of wings for my heart and some thick soles for my feet. Whenever this world seems a cold and a careless place and I don't know where to go, I'll be singing, singing, singing my way home. I'll be singing, singing, singing my way home. Thank you. You're welcome. Do you have another? Oh, I, I've got plenty. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, sure. Okay. Let's see. Maybe one more. Okay. Um, all right. Just trying to decide between the cowgirl song and the women crossing Antarctica song. Ooh. Do you have a preference? <laughs> I, I think I'm curious about the women crossing Antarctica. I think I heard the other one on your website. So Yeah. yeah. Um, but whichever yeah. you feel, too. I'll do, I'll do the women crossing okay. Antarctica. Um, so this, is, um, this song was sort of inspired by a wonderful Stan Rogers song um, called Northwest Passage, which is he sort of thinking of all these explorers that, you know, tried to find the Northwest Passage and likening them to his own sort of life-seeking adventure and, and traveling. And um, I love that song, and I love songs about adventure. And I just thought, you know, how there's not that many songs like that about women. Yeah. And I think I better just write one. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so I did some research, and I found these two amazing women, um, Liv Arneson and... Um, <sighs> this is where my brain is today. Uh, I'll probably remember the, the other woman's name, um, Anne Bancroft. Oh. And they, in the early 2000s, um, crossed the entire continent of Antarctica wow. um, on foot, uh, on skis. Um, and it was just an amazing feat. Wow, and, I never knew about that. Um, yeah, I know. A lot, not enough people know about it. Um, and they were just incredibly strong and brave. And I read a lot of things they'd written, and I read all about Antarctica, and they really impressed me with the way their approach was just very different than a, than some of the more kind of masculine stories mm. of, you know, Arctic and Antarctic explorations. And it was really, it just was driven by love, it seemed to me, mm. by the enchantment with that landscape and right. by the re their relationship with each other. Not ego. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sorry, fellas. I'm sure there was some, you know, male explorers who weren't just driven by ego, but right. there was plenty of, you know, yeah. plenty of tales of ego to be had. Yeah, people um, having to put their flag in there and all that. 
Yes. <laughs> and and Antarctica is a fascinating uh, place in that I think it was just in the 80s that they started letting women like in the various stations that are down in Antarctica. So it's just, it's been an incredibly masculine male place. Oh, that's um, true. Yeah. yeah. And even now there's just, women are much um, fewer and far, far farther between and have yeah. to deal with a very uh, male culture when they spend time there. Um, so that just makes it even more interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So this is um, a song about them crossing Antarctica. That's called um, Racing Winter, partly because uh, one of the challenges was that they had to complete this, um, you know, it's like over a thousand mile journey before the um, Antarctic winter comes on where the sun just disappears entirely for, um, I don't know exactly for how long, but it just doesn't come back. (laughs) It doesn't rise. That's pretty important. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So they had to make it before Mm -hmm. that happened and they had kind of a narrow window and a lot of ground to cover. Right. Um, So... Racing winter. Racing winter. Sun dips low but never disappears. And when it slips away, the winter's night is near. And we were still 500 miles to go. Of ice and wind and frozen tears and bitter driven snow the sastruga rank on rank they rise to block our way cruel disguise of wind and time they're beautiful and strange cursed or blessed we choose our fate this day said who are you to follow in the footsteps of the bravest man Amundsen and Captain Scott and Shackleton to strive to seek to find and not to yield what would they say to find a woman at their heels and yet we are here gaining the ground our souls persevere and when the reckoning has brought us to our knees we will let the beauty set us free and sky we stand a world apart so not for country not for empire not for gold but for love but for love we push the dream as far as it will 
Thank you, Claire. That was so beautiful and moving. You're welcome. Yeah, it's, it's hard to even continue with the interview. <laughs> but yes, we will. Wow. That was wonderful. Thank you. Um, okay, well, I'm wondering, and um, this is a big question. What do you, what is it about folk music that you love? And also, do you say fo- folk or folk? <laughs> <laughs> I definitely say folk. Okay. Um, I've heard some people recently pronouncing the L, which has confused me. So Yeah. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> um, yeah. So what do I love about folk music? Um, there's a lot of things. And I think, um, you know, part of it is that, in my mind, in any case, it's not about perfection. Um what, one of the things that's always interested me in music from a very early age was really um, the spirit of it, like what what spirit sort of drives the music and enlivens it and and makes it like this living thing that is that you can interact with that affects your heart and soul. Um, and I've always been like way more interested in that than in any technical aspect of like, you know, mastering an instrument or, you know, making it technically perfect or you know tackling really challenging repertoire Mm -hmm. which is all wonderful musical terrain but not anything that ever interested me and I feel like that's what I experience a lot of times in in folk music is is this sort of unvarnished spirit coming through and I especially love when I can hear a person's unique um self coming out in the song not you know in in classical music where there's a lot of you know making sure you're really expressing what's been written on the page. Mm-hmm. And of course it has a lot of spirit and an individualism in it too. Um, but when I hear somebody sing a song and I hear the unique character of their voice and their delivery and it's got some hair on it, you know, <laughs> like I love that yeah. um, when it really has that spirit. Um, and I just, I, that to me in folk music, that's very accessible and, and it's part of the tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm sure that, you know, there's musicologists out there who wouldn't necessarily agree with that assessment, but that's sort of, I think where, that's where a great answer. Yeah. I mean, it feels very intimate, you know, and especially when you're listening to someone like you and you've written these songs, you've composed them yourself, you know, and I mean, it's, and yeah, just, uh, that's really compelling to me. And, you know, I don't know, there's not a lot of other things to distract from just, you know, you singing a song in, you know, the beautiful way that you do and with the guitar, you know, there's not like lights and, you know, um, electronics, you know, and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, you know, partly comes from my background that I sang for many years without accompaniment because I didn't play an instrument I could accompany myself on. So I was really gravitated towards songs that, really held up with that much focus on just the lyrics and the voice and maybe something very simple in the background. Um, that's sort of how I developed my own style. Um, and I feel like that really fits with folk music. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly a lot of popular music. I feel like it relies on the production mm-hmm. values and it relies on a lot of, you know, cool instrumentation to make it so groovy and fun and cool Mm -hmm. and like I didn't have any of those things at my disposal Mm -hmm. um so it's like what can you do with just a voice Mm -hmm. you know that people would actually want to listen to and you can tell a story and you can have a beautiful melody 
Um, and you, you've got to have a really tight song that the song itself, you know, the lyrics are just like going to grab you, um, mm-hmm. so that you don't need a lot of other stuff to make it interesting. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, folk music is a, is a storytelling tradition as mm-hmm. well. And, um, and there's that storytelling again that I love. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, what would you say, you know, some people might consider folk music kind of old fashioned and, uh, an old fashioned kind of music. It's been around so long. Um, but you know, do you be- you you do you believe that it's alive and pertinent today's to today's times? And um... I do, yeah. I mean, I think in in so many ways, it's like the people's music, right? And I think we've lost that. We've lost that tradition that you know people actually just play music in their homes and mm-hmm. like music's for everybody. It's not just for a few famous people mm-hmm. who you know have extreme talent or extreme you know, production behind them or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's not just a spectator sport. It's like people, human beings make music and that's folk music in my, in my mind. So it can't really ever become unrelevant. Yeah. People can forget about it. Uh It can go out of style. People can be like, Oh, that reminds me of, you know, my parents. So I'm going to avoid it or whatever. Yeah. It's interesting because when I look back, like the times when I felt like just everybody was making music around me and it wasn't just me as an audience member divided from the performer. Like that was in summer camp, a really wonderful sleepaway camp where all the counselors, you know, exposed all of us to the most amazing folk music really. And, you know, engaged us. We sang, you know, they had all the words written out. They played guitar, they played flute. And it was just had a huge impact on me. And then the only other, you know, I was really struck by when I was in Southern California for a few years um, or, you know, not quite, not Los Angeles, but for north actually in the Ojai area um you know I was around people who would just spontaneously start you know drumming and playing music and it was okay to just you know be part of this and not be separate so that was and it had been a long time since I'd had that experience you know so yeah and thank god for summer camps <laughs> there's good summer camps all around the country you get it you're like instilling that folk music I wish the summer <laughs> camp would continue well they do have it for adults apparently like family camp I've heard um, well, we don't have too much time, but I do want to ask you this um, question I have. Um, while you're singing, um, you know, you, you sing with a lot of feeling. And so I'm just wondering, do you usually feel the emotion you're singing? I've always wondered this in general about performers. Like you've sung the same song many times, but do you usually feel that emotion, um, you know, this, the, with the intensity that sparked that creative impulse when you wrote the song? Does that kind of come alive each time you're singing it? Or can it kind of become numb, you know? That is such a good question. <laughs> and, you know, it's interesting because once in a while it will be that alive and that raw. And, and in those times, I actually will start crying like wow. while I'm singing, which uh-huh. doesn't usually happen when I'm performing. But mm-hmm. sometimes when I'm playing on my own, oh, you know, okay. I'll just like start crying and um, obviously that's not ideal in a performance <laughs> setting. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it's, I think when the emotion really goes out of the song and you become numb to it, like it's, doesn't, it's not interesting to listen to yeah. anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't feel, I don't usually have the experience of going numb to it. And when I am numb to it, I will put that song away until mm-hmm. I can sort of refresh it with that feeling. But the feeling I'm having while I'm singing it is usually not the same as the, experience of the original feeling Mm -hmm. and that so I'm just really curious about that now because I haven't really thought about it it's not the same it's um 
it's almost like you're just like being a conduit for that feeling right. to like communicate that feeling to others, mm-hmm. which isn't really the same as just like being in it. Yeah. Um, it would be very hard to sing, I find, if I was really fully feeling all right. those feelings. Right. Um, I guess it's a little bit like being a listener. I mean, the first time you hear a song, it has a certain raw impact on you. And it, it can sort of evoke that a little bit later, but it can all, that can become less intense over time each time you hear the song i just had a thought that you know like in in maybe it's like sort of a yogic inspired tradition or whatever i've heard the phrase that like emotion is like energy that needs to move it's like Mm -hmm. energy in motion oh um emotion (laughs) there you go and i almost feel like when you're singing the emotion it's like that's the movement of that energy is not the same as just like sitting and like oh that's true yeah it's a physical experience it's like it's it's like it's flowing out in a way um so it's a very different experience of the emotion it's still there but it feels totally different than Uh just yeah it's definitely more active than listening to the song you're you're producing it so yeah so it'd be different and then of course music is so powerful that you know hearing a song that you listened to when you were young kind of evokes feelings and emotions from the past that period of your life you know yeah absolutely past so um so what was it like to you know what is it like to perform in from in front of an audience I mean is there a kind of self-consciousness that you had to overcome as a musician um yeah I mean I still have to work on that all the time um but I definitely find you know I can only really you know have a good experience with it if I'm leaving that self-consciousness behind there really has to be no distracting thoughts in my head of like Mm -hmm. you know oh somebody's looking cross-eyed at me or that person hates what I'm doing or oh that sounded bad or that's all just like a distraction from being I feel like what the best experiences of performing for me are like being completely in this moment with this group of people right and this shared experience so anything that like takes you out of that is going to diminish the experience of performing, the sound of the music, mm-hmm. you know, the, um, so I'm always sort of like in pursuit of that, like presence mm-hmm. that lets you, um, be completely there with it and, mm-hmm. and sort of connected to the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it's not there, it's like, it's kind of awful. <laughs> it's awful being yeah. on stage when you yeah. don't drop into that, but you are distracted by something that's going on or some worry about what people are going to think about you I mean imagine how different it would be you know like the people who perform at Madison Square Garden or something I mean with like the lights on them and I wonder how much they're able to see of the audience or if they even want to see the audience you know or if it's it must be so strange you know that being in that position and you know the feeling of being famous and so forth you have any thoughts on that the idea of fame and how you know how that yeah. changes people's self-perception and well having you know never been anywhere close to famous or <laughs> well, even until <known>. today <laughs> um, oh. um yeah I've certainly thought about it in that I, f- I feel like it must be one of the weirdest things to um find your way with you know and, I, and it's some, not something I've ever wanted for myself at all um because it seems like it's sort of it makes you always on stage on some level. Um, and that sounds awful to me. Um, let's see. I was having a, a thought about it. Um, 
it's okay. We yeah, can, we can gone. get back. To it. <laughs> so, uh, and um, I was just thinking about that song you sang about um, the women crossing Antarctica, and one of them you said was Anne Bancroft. That was her name, which is just like the right the name of the actress. The actress, yeah. yeah. Different, different Anne Bancroft. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was really beautiful song. It you really did express that you know how different that experience was for these women to be crossing Antarctica as opposed to their predecessors, you know? Yeah. Know. Yeah. The love of the, of Antarctica. And the experience. fight that they had to do to get there. You know, they were looking for sponsors. Everyone who does those kind of things has sponsors and the sponsors would just be like, you know, totally patronizing and, Oh, have you know, have you ladies like been out in the snow? You know, it's like, Mm-hmm. and they're they're complete they're they're like expert you know they would say um, that you expo- ladies, oh yeah you like they're just <laughs> totally patronizing wow. and you know like well you know it's going to be really difficult and mm-hmm. <laughs> until it completely yeah so they had to they had quite a journey just to get to antarctica just uh-huh. to get the backing you know wow yeah. yeah um do you ever write songs about politics or you know activist type of things that's a good question. I, I want to, mm-hmm. and it's not, it's not natural to me, um, but I've been thinking about it a lot. I, I really wanted to write a song about Standing Rock, and I'm, I'm still oh. um, working, working on that or working towards that. Um, and certainly with the Trump administration and all that, it's felt more compelling. Like I would like to be saying something about all this. Yeah. But, but yeah. that's, you know, most of my songs have come from like a very personal place. Right, right. So it's a, it's a really different kind of song and um yeah I haven't I haven't found my way to it yet but I'm I'm thinking about it (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I want to mention you've been listening to Under the Surface I've been talking to Claire Dacey an accomplished singer songwriter and musician as well as a naturalist ecologist visual artist and teacher that's a lot um and we only have a few more minutes left. Do you think that you have a short little song you still have the guitar in your hand so (laughs) (laughs) that's why I'm asking you um yeah let me let me scan my mental all right while you're thinking I'll just um mention that before we close I also want to mention that if you're curious to hear some of my past shows you can now access most of them as podcasts through my Facebook page which is under the surface radio program um and I also want to wish everyone a happy solstice, which is coming up. Just think after December 21st, that's this Thursday. Each day will be getting a little bit longer again. That's always a good feeling to know that the light is returning, isn't it? So um, thanks for listening, everybody. And Claire, thanks so much for being a guest. And um, You're so welcome. And we're going to listen to your song as we close out the show. Okay. Thank you. Oh, Lord, make my life a song. Let its melody ring out sweet and long. Let it flow on through this world like the river rolls. Oh, Lord, make my life a song. Oh, Lord, make of my heart a home. It shelters weary travelers from the storm. Make its timber strong and true, and its heart forever warm. Oh, 
my heart home. Oh Lord, make my spirit a wild bird. Write freedom on its brow. Let the wild wind be its word. From up above the fray, let it see the truth, let it lead the way. Oh, Lord, make my spirit a bird. Oh, Lord, make my life a song. Let its melody ring out clear and strong. Let it flow through this world unbroken like the river roll. Oh, make my life a song. You're welcome, Amy. Thanks for having me. Yes, and thanks for listening, everybody. Please tune in again next Sunday at 12 noon. Have a great week, everyone.